Good day. Welcome to This Week in Addiction Medicine, Special Edition. My name is Bob Davis. Today we are joined by Dr. Christine Soren. Christine Soren is an assistant professor of medicine at the UCSF Division of General Internal Medicine at San Francisco General Hospital and the medical director of UCSF Outpatient Buprenorphine Induction Clinic, the oldest buprenorphine induction clinic in the country. Her areas of interest are the integration of addiction medicine treatment and primary care, the overlap of substance use and chronic pain, and low-barrier buprenorphine treatment. Dr. Sorn is an active member in the California Society of Addiction Medicine chapter as part of the Integration and Access to Care subcommittee. Welcome, Dr. Sorn. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Thrilled to be here. Why did you choose to treat addiction as your main focus? Well, my first exposure was when I was studying public health and I volunteered at the Baltimore City Syringe Access Program and it introduced me to a model of harm reduction and just really respectful care for people who use drugs and seeing them as experts in their own bodies. And then during my internal medicine training, I was really drawn to working with patients with complex opioid dependence and chronic pain. And this was at the same time that we were seeing increased deaths related to prescription opioids. So these two experiences together really wanted me to study and work with people with addiction and to support health-related behavior changes that also, you know, respect the autonomy of individuals. How long have you been treating addiction? Yeah, I've been treating, I finished my training four years ago. So I've been doing addiction medicine and primary care for the past four years. In your experience, what is the main barrier preventing patients who use synthetic opioids from starting buprenorphine? Yeah, I think the biggest barriers are large societal challenges to reasons why people started using substances in the first place. Things like chronic pain and trauma and underlying mental health conditions, loneliness. Um, And we know buprenorphine doesn't change a lot of those social circumstances that contribute to why people use drugs. Aside from that, the two barriers that I see regularly, the first one is really the risk and fear of opioid withdrawal or feeling really sick when someone starts the medication. Um, And then the second barrier I see is that it's a a lot harder and takes a lot of courage for someone to walk into clinic and ask for buprenorphine treatment. That's a lot harder to do than continue using fentanyl. And so I see a lot of my work is, is trying to minimize these last two barriers as much as possible for people who are interested in buprenorphine treatment. I see. So why must buprenorphine initiation be appropriately timed? I imagine timing has a lot to do with it. You're exactly right. Um, when someone, because buprenorphine is a partial agonist and has a high receptor affinity for the mu opioid receptors, if someone takes it at the same time that they have another full agonist in their system, they will feel uh, severe precipitated withdrawal in that moment. And so traditionally what we've done is had people wait for a period of time until they're in mild or moderate withdrawal to start buprenorphine and then start the medication so they actually feel better when they take it and not worse. And finding that right balance can be really tricky because you want people to be sick enough, but not so sick that they can't tolerate it enough to get to the point of taking buprenorphine. I see. It seems a little bit more complicated than you think, but why is the initiation phase more complicated for people who use fentanyl? Yeah, this is something um, we as clinicians and scientists are still actively looking into and trying to really understand what it means to use fentanyl chronically. Um, My best understanding is that fentanyl, um, because it's lipophilic, it redistributes throughout the body and throughout the compartments and so actually has prolonged distribution and prolonged excretion. 
Um, and so even though someone may not be feeling the effects of fentanyl and may be in withdrawal, they actually still do have it hanging around and it behaves very similar to methadone this way. It also has a really similar receptor affinity to buprenorphine. And so there may be something going on at the receptor level between buprenorphine and fentanyl. And then we know it's it's incredibly potent. And um, so it may take you know higher doses of our medications to support people. I still remember, you know, five years ago when I saw my first patient that mm-hmm. had done this traditional way of starting buprenorphine, they waited, they were in enough withdrawal, they took the right dose, and yet they felt severely worse. They felt precipitated withdrawal. And I remember thinking, what's happening here? And that was really one of the, the biggest mm-hmm. moments that helped us, that helped me as a clinician think about, we need different ways to start this medication. Some things about, about fentanyl is different. Interesting. Can you share with us what is the Howard Street Method? Yeah. The Howard Street Method um, was a collaboration between our clinic and our community behavioral health services pharmacy that's run through the San Francisco Department of Public Health. And it took into consideration different gradual induction methods that are published in case reports in the literature as a way of starting buprenorphine through slow uh, doses of buprenorphine and gradually increasing over time while someone's continuing to use a full agonist opioid. But what's different about it is it really focuses on how this can be done at a pharmacy level. Um, So it has some modifications from regular uh, gradual induction methods. That includes using the buprenorphine monoproduct tablets because they're larger and easier to split. It includes putting it into a bubble pack so it's straightforward for the patient. And then um, there's a modification in the dosing strategy, so there's really no waste of medications. So the community pharmacy itself can implement this, this initiation strategy. I see. So what were your outcomes of interest? Yeah, we reported outcomes on the implementation of the Howard Street Protocol, utilizing a retrospective case series of 27 patients. And we looked at what proportion of individuals were able to complete the protocol, how many reported experiencing withdrawal while they were doing it, and how many stayed on buprenorphine and stayed in care after completion. Interesting. So what was the effect in implementing a buprenorphine low-dose overlap initiation protocol? Can you describe perhaps some of the shorter or longer-term treatment outcomes? Yep. Um, of the 27 patients that uh, charts that we looked at, 14 were able to complete the protocol. And of those 14, 79% reported no withdrawal symptoms while they did it. We did have three individuals who reported experiencing some withdrawal symptoms, none of which was severe and none of which was consistent with precipitated withdrawal. Mm-hmm. And then of those who completed the protocol, 86% of them remained in care at 30 days. We also did look at the 15 patients who did not complete the protocol. And one interesting point was seven of those individuals came back to care within 30 days and tried to start buprenorphine again. And what that highlights for me is even though people may not be successful on their first try, it provides an entry into treatment that doesn't require someone to make this huge leap of stopping completely using fentanyl. It gives them a little bit of a, um, a taste of the medication so they can decide what makes sense for them if they want to continue it or not, or try again. I see. So I imagine psychosocial elements were at play in the study. Were there any that were kind of unique that stood out? Yeah. All the individuals in our study were using fentanyl. Uh, the patients included all are publicly insured. Uh, The vast minority had stable housing, only 30% had stable housing, 
And this did take place during um, COVID shelter in place restrictions. And so a large portion of our population was temporarily housed in shelter in place hotels. Uh, two thirds identified as male and three fourths identified as white. Uh, of those, um, the majority were using an inhalation route of use, about 81%. And then 78% of participants were also using methamphetamine. And half had had a prior overdose and 75% had had prior treatment history. So really a population with a lot of uh, factors at play that can make their use particularly severe or had experienced harms of their use previously. Let me see, were there other strategies in play for treating SUD with those under-resourced populations? Yeah, I think both how we prescribe the medication matters, but the setting we prescribe it in also matters too. And so this study is really providing treatment in a low barrier medication first model. And so making that model as accessible and approachable as possible, that includes drop-ins, um, recognizing that people have competing priorities and treatment for them isn't always linear. So being okay when someone misses appointments or coming in late helping people navigate challenges with insurance um, and being co-located at the same location where patients are able to pick up their medication can provide a huge benefit. Uh, this study also utilized some outreach strategies to high-risk settings, including going to the shelter-in-place hotels to meet with individuals. And that can be particularly helpful for people who are struggling to get into clinic for whatever reason. Were there any limitations of the study? There are definite limitations of this study, the biggest of which is that the vast majority of our data is by self-report. And so mm -hmm. we did not utilize um, observed dosing. We didn't um, only had a small subset of patients with urine drug screens documenting buprenorphine. And part of this was due to COVID. And also part of it was maintaining this low barrier treatment setting, really recognizing that the benefits of providing the medication often outweigh the harms. And mm -hmm. so making it as accessible to possible as possible. Um, we did have patients who were lost to follow-up. And so we don't know what their experience was. We don't know if they experienced severe withdrawal or had negative effects from it. And then it's an observational study. There's no comparison group, and it really can't provide us with any evidence if this is uh, more beneficial than traditional buprenorphine induction methods. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, it is a unique setting. Um, not everyone has a community-based pharmacy. Not everyone has the patient population that we're working with, and so may not be generalizable. Got it. So what were some of the best practice lessons you learned throughout the study? Yeah, we learned... Um, throughout the full seven days of the protocol that we should really stick with the buprenorphine monoproduct. Uh, this is because patients have beliefs about the naloxone in the combination product that complicated it in the middle at key points of the transition in the medications. And the color change of the tablets was really um, startling to some patients. So really recommending staying with the monoproduct. And then we also learned for patients what those who did experience some mild withdrawal symptoms, what those felt like that included just a feeling of general discomfort or anxiety or fear that the withdrawal would get worse. And so we now counsel all patients that to expect some discomfort throughout the protocol. And we do provide ancillary medications uh, for people to take if they are experiencing withdrawal symptoms. And then I think the biggest thing is how do we support someone in continuing to use a full agonist while they're slowly increasing their buprenorphine treatment? So they are in withdrawal. Um, and in the current, you know, regulatory state in this country, we're not able to prescribe in an office-based setting. 
uh, full agonist opioids during this period. So what we do is we talk to patients that most will need to use a full agonist while they're undergoing this protocol, but most can cut back. And so coach them through kind of using enough to stay out of withdrawal and then talking a lot about overdose prevention practices. What are you doing to keep yourself safe? Because we know at low doses of buprenorphine, it may not be protected from overdose. Well, the study did offer some questions, um, but also I'm sure there's some opportunities you'd like to look at for future study. What might those be? Yeah, I think we really need randomized trials to better understand mm -hmm. our overlap induction methods, mm -hmm. similar or better or worse outcomes than traditional methods for people who are using fentanyl. I think we also have a lot to learn from, from patients and people who use drugs themselves and getting their perspective on what this uh, overlap induction strategy is like for them and how we can do better. And then lastly, I'd say, you know, there may be some regulatory changes in a setting where we could provide full agonist opioids while someone is completing the overlap induction in the outpatient setting. And this could be a, a prime opportunity to sort to support patients in transitioning to buprenorphine. Dr. Christine Soren, thank you so much for taking time today out of your busy practice, and we hope to catch up with you at future studies as they come about. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Well, that concludes This Week in Addiction Medicine Special Edition. If you haven't subscribed to the ASAM Weekly, please visit asam.org to do so and follow us on our social channels. Well, with that, we hope you have a great week. And thank you for all you do treating addiction and saving lives.